Philippians chapter 3. Now, many of you guys are aware um, that for the past couple years, um, I've worked on a a pretty fun project. Um, There's this company called Masterclass. And Masterclass, what they do is they bring in um, people who are absolute experts in their field. They bring in people uh, like directors, they bring in authors, they bring in people like Steph Curry, and you can watch him on video, and he can tell you about all the secrets of the game. He'll put you through the drills, and you can, there's this behind the scenes that happens to all of his work, and he speaks to you, and he encourages you, and he brings you along the journey with him, right? And I've been involved with this from the perspective of uh, producing these things for, um, for the chef that I work for, right? Uh, who is one of the most decorated chefs in American history. And these people, experts, they're the masters in their field. But at no point do you go away from those classes like, I am Steph Curry. At no point do you go away feeling like, okay, well, I can direct this course or this movie, or, or I can write a book in the same way that this person writes it, or, uh, you know, at no point do you go away feeling like that. But what you do have is you have recorded for you the expertise uh, so that you can return to it to see how you might imitate it in your life. So that you might say, you know, I forget what it is there. As I'm working to uh, prepare this meal, I forget the steps there. Uh, you know, with this, I've got to go back and watch the film and look at it again and say, okay, I've got to make these changes. I got to, I got to do it this way. And you're imitating these experts. It's a master class. You, how to move from this place of, uh, of uh, a lack of knowledge to becoming more refined, a greater expert in these particular fields. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at with the text this morning, right? Because again and again and again and again, throughout the book of Philippians, he has said this, Philippians, I know you guys are in a tough spot. And I know you guys need to figure out how to get out of it. And I want you to know, Philippians, that I'm also in a tough spot. I'm writing to you from a jail. There's no tougher place than that. That's lame. Things are hard. It's damp. It's dirty. The food's not great. He's stuck in there. He doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a lot of freedom. He doesn't have resources to work with. And so he says here, look, I'm in a tough spot too. And I want you to understand how you can uh, be successful in faith, even when you feel like you don't have a lot, even when you feel like you don't have the tools to work with. He says, I have the tools and I want you to learn to use those tools as I have. I want you to learn to have joy in the midst of these circumstances as I have. I want you to figure out how to navigate life in the same way that I have. And he's done this uh, a couple ways as he's moved through the text. First, he's done it by contrasting uh, 
against this group of people who are out for themselves. He speaks of them as being working from rivalry or selfish ambition. They're focused on themselves, but then there are those people who care about Paul and care about the Philippians who are working from a place of love. They have actual genuine, true love and care. He spoke about uh, Paul being united to this group of people, the Philippians, in, as partakers of the gospel um, or, or as partakers of grace and partners in the gospel together. He says, look, we're, we're on this journey together. We're, we're working together. But now as he comes to our text this morning, he uh, reemphasizes how they ought to continue on in this journey. And what he says here is that you should continue to watch me. You should watch me because I'm going to give you the pattern. I'm going to show you how to live this life. Now, the secret of it all is that Paul has already told them, right? So he's just reiterating what he's told them. And what he says here is like, if you really want to take the shortcut, you don't actually have to look to me. You can look to Jesus, right? This is what he says in the beginning of chapter two in the Christ hymn, have the mind of Christ, not have the mind of Paul, not have the perspective of Paul, have the mind of Christ. But he says, if you don't know what that looks like, you can look at me. So as we come to the text this morning, uh, this is what he begins with, right? He says here in, uh, let's roll in from verse, thirteen. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imita join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us right so this is the text that he brings up this is what he rolls in from he has said look i want you to know philippians i want you to know uh people of sanctuary berkeley that i haven't arrived i'm not there i'm not the finished product don't look at me and say and, and run this comparison game and be like yo but you're so far along like you've You've had a head start. You've made it. Paul says, look, the point is, I haven't made it. I'm not, uh, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still on the journey. I'm still working in the same place as you. And, and, and this is how he opens it up. He's trying to uh, let them know that he is a, a disciple as well. He's in the process. He's working towards um, understanding who Jesus is. He's moving to that place, right? And he says here that, I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to work towards that goal. I'm going to forget the things that were in the past. I'm going to move forward to what lies ahead. He's like, I'm trying to get Jesus, right? And he says here that this is the mindset of those who are mature. So if you want to be somebody who is working in the perspective, if you want to be somebody who is growing in the faith, he says, a way that you can know is that you're having these desires, that you're willing to count all things as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ that you're willing to look around and say, you know, the things that I thought were valuable, they're not as valuable as I first, you know, perceived. Maybe I started thinking that this was a really important thing, but I've realized that I've been investing in the wrong spot, that Jesus is worth more, that growing in faith with the Lord is worth more, that it has brought peace to my life, that he, it has put this 
um, stamp on my life of God's approval for me because he already knows all the things I've already done. So I don't have to worry. I don't have to stress. I've already been exposed, but yet he, all, he loves me so deeply. And Paul says that for, for the believer, that that is a mark of maturity when you're able to think of that perspective and you consider that and you say, that's what I want. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way, right? Have this, this attitude, have this way of thinking, right? Which is really Paul's simple way of going back to verse five of chapter two, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? Have the mind of Christ. It's something that he is returning to. And he says here, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, in saying this, he's making this concession, right? First, that there are people who are not going to think this way, right? And the reality is, is that they have not matured in the faith. He doesn't say those people aren't Christians. He doesn't say like, let's get rid of them. He just says they're in the process, right? Just as uh, Paul was not in that, had, did not have that mindset at some point. He was in process, but he has achieved that mindset. He has gone to that place where he is uh, enjoying Jesus uh, above all else. And so he, call, he, he, he includes himself in this group, and he's calling for unity among those who have this focus, this one mind. Uh, but he's doing so so that those who run together in this race can be united in that focus to pursue Christ and that they can encourage those who do not yet have that mindset, right? Because he recognizes that there's going to be some people who don't have that, who aren't there. And he doesn't make people have that. He just says this, if, any, if, uh, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's like, look, I'm just going to let the Lord handle it. Here's the facts. Here's the truth. Here's where it's going. If you think something else, if you want to be focused on something else, if you want to be caught up in something else, I'm going to let the Lord sort that out. He's going to put you in line. He's going to help you to understand that Christ is worth pursuing more than anything else. He's going to do that work. Paul's like, I'm not, I don't need to be the junior Holy Spirit here. I don't need to be babysitting you. I don't need to be trying to come alongside and uh, proving this point, but rather he is content to let the Lord be at work. He says, if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And so he trusts that the Lord is going to reveal the correct mindset to those who are lacking right? Uh, in a sense, he is, again, reiterating what he said earlier in the letter, right? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's like, God's going to do it. He's going to finish it, right? He started it. He's the author of faith, but he's also the finisher of faith. He's going to be the beginning, middle, and end. At no point does God ever leave his people. And so he's going to work in his people and, uh, and help them along the journey. And so he says here, here's the mindset that you need to have. Here's the pursuit that we're on. And then in verse 16, he returns and he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he's forgetting the things from behind. But now he says, let's hold fast. Let's hold true to what we have obtained. He says, we are making progress. There are some things that we have obtained that we do have, right? 
that we are able to grasp, and let's hold on to that, namely the gospel, right? And for Paul, he's speaking a little bit more specifically about the experience that he has had with the Philippians, right? He, as I said earlier, uh, he has told them, look, we're partners in the gospel. We share in the same spirit. We participate in his sufferings together. These are things that we have obtained. And he says, let's not throw those things out because this is reminding us of the progress that we've made together. But we're in that because we're united in Christ together. The gospel is the core of what Paul is saying, right? And so his exhortation here is for us to hear that we don't need to be looking back, but we also don't need to be drifting. We don't need to be just kind of set loose upon the sea and we're just going down with the current, but rather we are, uh, are staying in line that we are, are, we have a standard of progress and we are, are, are holding our ground there firmly. And, and he wants, uh, he wants this exhortation to come forth because he is concerned that the progress of the community, that the, uh, that the thing that breaks up unity is selfish ambition. It's what somebody is like, well, I want to do this, right? The thing that, that breaks up the unity is when somebody has a goal that is different than the goal of the group. When somebody decides that they've got their own goal that they want to pursue, right? But he has said here that we already have a goal, that we already have a focus that we're working on together that we are pursuing life in Christ together. And this is why earlier in the book, he says that there are some who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. They're, they're self-seeking. They're, they're wanting something for themselves. But there are some who proclaim Christ out of uh, genuine and true love. And so his, his desire is to highlight these things as a bit of a warning because he's going to say, look, I know you're up against this. I know you're going to deal with this but let's hold fast. And so if you need an example of what it means to hold fast, right? He's already said, I've put off those old things. Now he says, look at me, right? Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He says, you, if you want to know what a mature Christian looks like, he's like, I'll give you some examples. First, you can look at me. I've done this. I've been on this journey. If you need to know what to do, you can look over and say, okay, I'm learning from the examples. Secondly, he says, you can watch others. You can watch other people. He doesn't say that I'm the only person that you can watch, but he's offering himself up because he's in a relationship with these people. But he says, also, you can keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us, right? There's unity that he's highlighting there, this example that you have in us, and then the mind of Christ. This is the thing that brings that unity, having that focus, that mind of Christ, considering others more significant than yourselves, that self-sacrificial love. And so he says here, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Look at other people who are demonstrating this mind of Christ, right? Learn by example. 
He doesn't say, just watch me. He says, imitate me, right? The thing with, the thing with, uh, with, with those classes that I've been working on, you know, masterclass, you can watch all the Steph Curry videos that you want. You could watch all the, all the cooking videos that you want, but you've got to go out and try it. That's where it comes into play, right? It's not just watching. It's not just witnessing, but then you've got to put it into play, right? If you're only watching, then you're not uh, becoming a part of the body of Christ. And Paul doesn't just say, watch me. He says, join in imitating me. Be like me. And when he calls people to be like him, he's urging them to join in the journey to follow Christ. He, he's, he's putting this forth so that you might have the mind of Christ. Again, this is just a, another shortcut way for Paul to say, have the mind of Christ. Like you can, if you need to see what it looks like to apply this, you can watch how I've applied it. And then you can try to imitate in the same fashion. And so he is not trying to get people to follow him, to be like him, to um, exalt him, but rather he wants people to take up the charge of the serious nature of pursuing Christ and say, look, I'm going to put myself in a position of accountability to say, you can follow me. He also says that you can follow others, right? Earlier, he's mentioned Timothy and Epaphroditus who have kind of uh, represented these sort of people who Paul has in mind. He's mentioned them already. It, it, and his, his desire is for us to see that there are other people who are in the faith who are doing this, right? Because the reality is, is that we tend to like look around at the people who seem to be doing it like at, like the, at, at a level that is far different than how we're doing it, right? We're comparing ourselves against people who are in different contexts, in different places, living with different circumstances, doing different things. And, and that could be helpful if that's what you have, but the, but the Lord has put us in community with other people so that way we can ask these questions. How are you living this out? How are you pursuing Christ on the daily? How are you uh, pressing towards the upward call of Christ Jesus? What, what do you have going in your, on in your life? What are the secrets that you have learned, right? And the reality is here, I mean, this is no secret to, you know, it shouldn't be a secret to any of you guys, but like, this is essentially what, what I do every week. All I'm telling you is about the things that I've learned, the th like the secrets that I've learned and they're not, that are not secrets, right? All the things that I've that, that I, I've discovered as problems in my life, the things that hinder me, that keep me distracted, those are the things that I end up sharing uh, in order to encourage you to say, like, this is where I've been. This is what I want you to learn. A lot of that, uh, a lot of those things are where they come from. I'm not sharing other people's stories. I'm sharing, like, my situation. I'm sharing my troubles, my problems, because those are the things that are true to me that I know that I've had to navigate. Right. And so as we think about things, uh, you know, it's one of the things I've talked about in the past weeks, right? Remember we had that sermon a while back about engaging your heart, right? And we talked about how the Christian faith is like a race, 
It's like going out for a run, but it's not about how, how fast you're going, right? It's about having your heart engaged. It's about that health there, right? Because that's something that like I was dealing with like personally, as like I was dealing with, like I might not have as much opportunity or resources as like these other like people or these other circumstances or these other, uh, other churches, or I might not have those things, but the Lord hasn't said, I want you to do those things. He says, I want you to be engaged in your heart. And so those things translates, translate down to us to say, that's how it, it, the Lord's calling me to press on in faith. How is he calling you to press on in faith? Maybe he needs you to press on in and just to say like, look, you don't have to be fast either. You don't have to be first place. You just have to make sure that your heart is engaged in the run, that it's working, that your workout is, is happening, right? And those are things that Paul is trying to do here as well. He's trying to bring this charge to encourage uh, his, uh, his people. And so as he does so, Paul contrasts uh, people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, those people who walk with Christ, uh, with people who walk as enemies of the cross, right? And he lays out these two options, because this is the reality. Like you can either walk with Christ, or you can walk as an enemy of the cross. You can either have a Jesus-centered life, or you can have a self-centered life. Like those are the two options. It can be about you, or it can be about Jesus, but it can be about both. And so he says here in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says that there are people that, that I have told you about, that I've spoken of before. And these people have made a decision. They've made a, deter a determination that they are going to be enemies of the cross that they are going to go their own way and do their own thing, right? And he focuses here on the way that these people who are described as enemies of the cross, the way that they walk, right? He says here, uh, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, there's action put to it. It's not just a theory, but they are uh, enacting these attitudes, right? Here's, the, here's, the, here's what I want you to see. They're not just a, a group of people who are saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. It's not people who are struggling here in, with, with uh, difficult questions or doubt, uh, but that they are completely going their own way that they are going away from the cross of Christ, right? And, and Paul is upset by this. He's upset by this because he wants these people to know what they can have in Christ. And this is why he says, I'm telling you about them even with tears. He's compassionate. He has the heart of Christ. He wants them to have what is good, but he knows that they are uh, hurting themselves, and he describes uh, these couple ways that they are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ, that they're going their own way. First, in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set 
on earthly things. So three things uh, right out the gate that define this group of people, right? First, uh, their God is their belly, right? Uh, this phrase here seems, uh, seems basically like if we were going to take it at face value, it would just be means like, we would think it would mean something like, like they just eat too much all the time, but that's not what he's mean. That's not what he means here. Um, what he, what he's speaking of here in, uh, in these older texts, this would mean, uh, what would refer to, uh, like the origin of an appetite, let's say, right? An appetite, right? That's when you say like their God is their belly. Their belly is something that from which the appetite is produced, that there's a desire, that there's a feeling that they want something and, and they serve that feeling. Oh, I want to eat this. I want to pursue this. I want to have this. They have these deep desires that originate in uh, the inner person, Right? And he's saying here, not that they eat a lot, but that they have these desires that they serve and that those things are inward focused, that they're serving themselves. In, in Romans chapter 16, Paul describes uh, a similar people who are not serving, uh, serving Jesus, but he says they have their own appetites. Right, So in a similar sense, that's what he's getting at here. These people have their own desires. They don't serve the Lord. They have their own appetites. That's the contrast that he uses there. Uh, and so this first group of people who are described as uh, enemies of the cross of Christ, uh, their God is their belly. They have these um, appetites that are selfish, these desires that are self-serving. Uh, and then second, he says that they, they glory in their shame, Right? So these are people who are controlled by their desires. They're enslaved to their own desires. They don't have self-control because they're, they have these appetites and then they have got to go and, and pursue them. And then when they, when they pursue them, they take pride in their shame. They boast and they brag about what they have done, or they might feel uh, pleased with their act, sinful activity. Uh, and they don't care whether it's an offense to God. They don't care about if, if what they've done has offended uh, the king, but rather just like, well, that's what I wanted to do. And I got what I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm quite happy about it. Right. And, and are uh, setting themselves up as people who, um, who want to not work towards uh, repentance, but rather are pleased uh, with their activity. And then the third thing here, he says that they have minds set on earthly things, right? And so the reason why these people are enslaved by their desires, why they're in bondage to their desires, they boast about their sinful acts, is that their minds are set on earthly things, their minds are set on earthly things. So now, now consider this because Paul has been telling us here for the Christian, your mind is to have the mind of Christ. That's the goal. Not to have your mind set on earthly things, but to figure out how you need to uh, understand 
what Christ's mind is, right? In Romans chapter 12, this is, he tells us uh, that we ought to renew our minds, right? Our minds are being renewed. They're being transformed. Like our lives are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? We, we need this uh, reset, not to live from that old perspective, but rather to have minds that are renewed in Christ, to uh, have this focus. And this is what, what Paul's getting at in our text this morning. So the goal of this group of people is to be like-minded or of one mind or to stand firm shoulder to shoulder together, to be in rank, to be united together, knowing that we are accomplishing one goal, having one mind, right? And so he contrasts this with the enemies of the cross who have their minds set on earthly things, their own things that they want to do. They're not out for the people who are around them. They're only out for themselves. They're only out for what they want because they're enslaved to their bellies, their sinful appetites, what they want, those desires. And he says here that the result, the end of such people is destruction, right? The end of such people is destruction. Instead of finding salvation in the cross, they act as enemies of the cross, and this path only leads to destruction, right? The scriptures tell us that sin is pleasurable for a season. It, it doesn't say, it doesn't say like, well, you're not going to have a good time. You're not going to really enjoy yourself. It says it could be enjoyable for a season. But as soon as you realize that it does not meet your needs, as soon as you realize that you are serving yourselves, its end is death, right? This is why the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You go your own way, you make your own path, it leads to death. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, it's a gift of eternal life that you don't have to work for. What a wonderful, generous gift, something that you don't have to put in the effort for. And the result of which is the joy that Christ brings, the peace that he gives. He gives to his people. The desire of, of the Christian is to be uh, with Christ and to know Christ and to enjoy him. And like I said in the beginning, it's up to God to continue that work. So we don't have to be a people that are all stressed out. Like, oh man, like I don't feel like as intense about everything as like all these other people. Okay. <laughs> like the Lord's going to do his thing. But that doesn't mean that you should be lazy. That means you should look around at other people who are walking and get inspired and be like, oh, like why do they like love Jesus so much? What has the Lord done in their life? And when you hear someone share their testimony of what the Lord's done in their life, then you're like, oh my gosh, I think the Lord's done something similar in my life. I haven't put the pieces together yet. You realize what you've been given already. You realize how you have arrived without even understanding how you got there. Because the Lord is working. He's always working, even when we don't see it. He's always doing the things that we don't expect or understand and giving us exactly what we need 
even when we don't know that we need it. He's putting other people in our lives to deliver exactly what we need, even when we're not aware and when they're not aware. When they have zero idea, it's his work that is being done, his work that is being accomplished. Because it's his, it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. And so there are those whose end is destruction because they've chosen their own way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. You never get lost if you always follow the king because the king knows where he's going. The king has uh, always leads you to the kingdom. If you want to get lost, go off on your own. Go do your own thing. That's how you get yourself in trouble. But if you continue to follow the king and everything falls under the rule and reign of the king, it's impossible to get hurt. It's impossible to have something overtake you because the king is aware of everything in his kingdom. The king rules and reigns over all things. And so your end is not destruction when you follow the king, but rather safety, security, and joy forevermore. And so Paul here tells his readers, you've got to be aware. You've got to be aware that there are those who are enemies of the cross, who are setting their minds on earthly things. And there are those who are uh, following Christ, who are having the attitude that Christ had, the mindset that Christ had. And I want you to choose to follow Christ. Right? And he, he ends with that similar language that we discussed of God's kingly rule. In verse 20, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he expects Christ's ultimate victory over all things. He expects that we ought to understand that there's no sense in living as enemies of the cross when your citizenship is in heaven. Don't try to join another kingdom. You're already a part of a kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for us, we kind of like read this and we're like, okay, well, like, great. This is like some helpful language um, as we unpack it. But for Paul's readers, this is like one of the most subversive statements that could have been made. Like they didn't read this and be like, um, okay, this is Paul's like mic drop moment. He's just like, well, watch this, boom, drop mic, right? I mean, this is like a big deal for him because remember he's writing to Philippians. Great, what does that mean, right? Philippians are a group of people in a city called Philippi, which is in Greece which is currently under the rule of Rome. So that means that they are a colony of Roman citizens living in a foreign land, but then they are also a group of people who are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So they're a colony within a colony. They're a group of people who Paul wants them to understand that you're a colony of heavenly citizens who have this new kingdom that you're a part of. 
Now, in this sense, it would have been impactful for them because uh, their ruler uh, at the time, the, the Caesar, who was, who was ruling the Roman Empire at the time, he would have given all the rights and privileges to this group of people in Philippi. Everything that, as they were uh, governed under Rome, they would have had everything that they would have needed to be considered uh, equal citizens with all of the other cities that were in Italy. And so he says here, as much as you are full citizens of Rome, your greater allegiance, your fuller allegiance is to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So get your mind right. Renew your mind. Don't get stuck here looking at earthly things. Be focused on the kingdom to come. Because that's what he says. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So significant phrasing here, because in, in the Roman Empire, uh, Caesar was you know, described as being the savior of the world because he restores order uh, in, in peace, not only in Italy, but, but throughout all of the, the regions that Rome conquers and come under uh, his, his rule. And so when Paul says this here, he's completely subverting uh, the rule of, of Caesar. And instead, he's saying, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will be the one who will come and establish his rule and reign. He is the one who sets all things right. He is the one who brings us into the era of peace. He is the one who has sovereign rule over all things. And so he says here, as a result, verse 21, where we end, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So first off, he has all the power, all the power, and it enables him to subject all things to himself. So everything that's described in the text, even enemies of the cross, he has the power over. They are selfishly ambitious. They're going their own way. He will act as judge over them. He will rule. He will reign. Nothing escapes him. More so for those who walk with Christ, for those who have the mind of Christ, then are also raised with Christ and are given a glorious body, right? He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Again, this goes back to Paul's focus on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? What did we say that that was connected to? If you look back at the text, uh, we said, excuse me, uh, we, we said that that was connected to Paul's desire for the resurrection, right? He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now he's talking about the resurrection again, about receiving a, a, a glorious body in place of this lowly body. In the resurrection of Christ, creation is restored. For Paul, his hope is not just uh, this 
redemption or, or like a, a patching up of creation, but rather the complete restoration, the complete renewal of our bodies. That's what he's hoping for. He's looking to that resurrection, that future hope. He's looking to see Christ rule and reign, to have his way uh, in light of all that his people are experiencing and all that he is experiencing. And this is only possible because he is able to subject all things to himself, all things to himself. He's able to accomplish this on our behalf because he is truly the king. We finish with uh, this verse from the book of Colossians. Paul writes similarly, and he says this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 for by him, that is Jesus, the king, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things Hold together. Paul highlights the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ over all things. He says, He is the beginning, the middle, and the end. And so let's press forward to that call, the hope of the resurrection. Let's press forward to receive all that He has given to us in Christ. Remember, he has promised to us that as he's begun a good work in us, he will be faithful to complete it. As he has begun this work, he will finish the work. And so as we move through this life, we ought not to be distracted by our own selfishness, but have the mind of Christ. We ought not to be a people who walk as enemies of the cross, who are serving our own uh, selfish appetites, our own desires, but who are surrendering those things to the king so that way we can learn what his desires are, seeking first his kingdom and following him wherever he goes. And so it's our desire uh, to bring him glory and to walk with him day by day, relying on him to complete that work that he has begun in us. So let's pray and uh, we'll respond together in singing. Lord, we're thankful for your promises. And although you make these big, um, these big statements about how we ought to live and what we ought to do, we're thankful that none of it is reliant upon our own efforts. Lord, that you want us to be faithful to pursue you and to know you and to find our, our joy in you. But Lord, you are the one who enables us to do that. You're the one who empowers us by your Holy Spirit to do that. And so Lord, we, we're thankful that, that you go with us into everything that you ask us to do. You've not called us to anything that you've not also empowered us to do. 
And so Lord, we don't want to make excuses about why we can't do it, but we want to step into those things and say, all right, I'm going to do this. So you got to show up now and you've got to do what you said you would do. And so Lord, give us that desire, help us to uh, look around and see those other people who are in our lives, who uh, we can be inspired by in their pursuit of the Lord and their walk with the Lord and what they've uh, have experienced and done. We're so thankful that we got to have a little bit of that inspiration this this past week on Friday, as we heard Brandon's testimony and what and what you've done in his life and how you've used moments and events in his past to impact his present and how he thinks about things into the future. And and what a cool opportunity for us to just even have that um, little window, a glimpse into that, so that way we can take those things away and and say. Well, I want to see the work, the Lord work in my life in that way. And so, um, Lord, we need your help. We want to be reliant upon you. And so give us those, uh, those desires so that we can serve you faithfully. Lord, we acknowledge that you are a good king, that you care for us, and that you love us so faithfully. So be glorified, Lord, as we as uh, we respond to you, Lord, with um, these last two songs. We love you. Amen.